verses 9 through 16. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jesse. A few weeks ago, I had my annual physical. It had been a couple of years, so I'm not sure it was annual at that point. But they checked my vital signs, pulse, blood pressure, did the thing with a stethoscope on the back, breathed deeply. I'm not sure what they listened for. Someone can tell me later. I hope my deep breathing was sufficient. Thankfully, the doctor said all my vital signs showed health in this body. I'm grateful. But maybe I want to ask you a question. What would you say would be the vital sign for health in this body, this church body? What would be, if you could isolate one, what would be the key vital sign for health in a local church? Some would say, well, the key vital sign is is numerical growth. Is the church growing? And if so, by how much? Because, as they say, healthy things grow. And I'm all for numerical growth if it means more lives changed by Jesus. But I don't think that's the clearest sign of church health. Sometimes unhealthy things grow. There are Christian cults that are growing numerically, and healthy things stop growing. I've been five foot nine inches tall for about 35 years. Now I'm probably shrinking. Others say the vital sign for churches would be the, the number of programs it's running. Because the more programs clearly indicates the more health for discipleship. Because then we're really doing something. We're busy for the Lord. And that can be good. But being busy alone doesn't mean we're being busy about the right things. It just means we're busy. Others would say the vital church sign, vi- sorry, the church vital sign is my experience, my experience when I attend? Does the music move me sufficiently? Do the, do the sermons affect me emotionally? Do the small groups meet my needs and help me feel good about those times? And I am all for legitimate spiritual experience, but I trust you'll agree that is a very subjective measurement of church health. Others might go theological and say the vital sign is the right preaching of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and that is vital. Along with the right practice of the sacraments, that's how you identify a true church. That's how you know if you are a church. But it doesn't tell you a lot about whether you're a healthy church. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy to pick one vital sign for church health. 
But if you search the Bible, I think one would emerge at the very top. It is the vital sign found in verse 9 of our passage. Verse 9 begins, Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. This verse is kind of a, a heading for the rest that follows. It could literally be translated the genuine love or the sincere love. Certainly not everything afterwards fits perfectly under that heading, but if you will, it seems that everything orbits around this phrase at the very center. So I want to submit to you that to identify health in a local church, as we think about our inward purpose as a local church, the thing we want to most look for is love, genuine love. And I want to offer to you from this passage eight qualities of genuine, genuine love. I think you could break them down into 10, maybe 12, maybe more, but we're going to go with eight. We're going to do an eight-point sermon. I hope you're ready. There's a reason why we're serving lunch later on. No. We're going to go through these pretty quickly. But think of this as eight qualities, eight qualities of genuine love helping us identify spiritual health. Here's the first. First, genuine love is, you might say, pure. It's pure or discerning. Verse 9 continues, abhor or hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. It is a pure, discerning, discriminating kind of love. Hating what is evil and clinging to what is good. It's, it's the phrase used when a husband in Scripture clings to or holds fast to his wife. So we are to cling to what is good out of love. You might think of church discipline under the category of this kind of love. Done rightly, Church discipline is a very loving thing because you are, as it were, hating a sin in which a fellow believer is drowning and you are launching rescue helicopters of love to help pull them out. It's discerning. It's pure. Secondly, genuine love is affectionate. It's affectionate. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. The brotherly affection, that translates a word you would be familiar with, the word Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love. That's what's in view here. It's a warm family kind of love. It's really as if the apostle sees the church as the closest kind of family, closer even than biological family. Last Christmas, I was given, as a gift, one of those ancestry DNA kits. You've seen those? You give a little DNA sample, you send it back, they tell you your gene or not genealogy, but where you're from, sort of genetically, I suppose. Well, we thought it'd be fun for one of my sons to give his DNA sample. And here were the results. He is 49% from East Asia, 49% from his mom, from Korea. 25% from Great Britain, 17% from Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, and then some other. <laughs> you can tell which part comes from me. We clearly share the same DNA. We're part of the same biological family, and I love him. 
It is as if God is saying in this verse, you have that kind of close bond as a spiritual family. You might say you share the same spiritual DNA, same Father in heaven, same Savior in whom you trust, same Spirit dwelling within you. And so God calls us here to this family affection for each other. Third, third, genuine love is honoring or preferring. Genuine love is honoring or preferring. Verse 10 continues, outdo, outdo one another in showing honor. You could translate this almost as take the lead in showing honor. Take the lead in preferring someone. It's almost like a competition to show how much you can prefer the other person over yourself. If your wants or desires conflict with another church member on some secondary, tertiary issue, what have you, you could think of it as a competition in that moment that you want to win by preferring the other person over yourself. Outdo them in showing honor. Fourth, genuine love is zealous. It is zealous. Verse 11, we read, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent, fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Saying, don't be, don't be lazy in zeal, but be, but be boiling, you might say. Boiling in spirit or boiling in the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And it could be something of both. Hard to say. Be boiling in the spirit. For a class I took a while back, I read a book on colonial Presbyterianism. And they say, they say sometimes that books don't change you, but sentences change you. There might be a sentence that strikes you from a particular book. I had that experience in this book about colonial Presbyterianism. It talked about the Log College, which was sort of a famous early training ground for pastors in the colonial era. And these were the days of revival, genuine revival, the Great Awakening. And it said in the Log College, as they were training pastors, that they wanted light in the head and fire in the heart. Oh, that sentence, that sentence grabbed me. That's what I want. That's what we want. Light in the head. Truth, knowledge about God, a flame in our souls boiling by the power of the Holy Spirit. But notice how verse 11 ends. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Commentators note how intentional this addition seems to have been. Think about it. You need to keep the fire of zeal in its fireplace. A fire in the fireplace keeps the house warm. A fire outside of the fireplace burns the house down. The fire of zeal for Jesus must be kept in the fireplace of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the apostle says, in your zeal, it's not a license to do whatever you want, say whatever you want, make sure you are serving and obeying Jesus Christ. That's love put on display. Fifth, genuine love is persevering. Persevering. 
Verse 12, rejoice, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, affliction, be constant, devoted in prayer. We rejoice in hope because of what awaits. Jesus is coming back, friends. Jesus is returning. And when he does, he makes all things new. And so with that sure hope in your heart, with that sure hope, you endure patiently, patiently. And you help others do the same. While being devoted to prayer, wielding, as it were, the weapon of all prayer, as John Bunyan put it, the weapon of all prayer, to help you keep going by God's grace and to help others do the same. And thank you for doing this even recently for the Morgan and Sumner families. Thank you. Sixth, I know it's like a rapid-fire shotgun approach here. Sixth, genuine love is generous. It's generous. Verse 13, contribute, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Be willing, be willing to share financially with those in need. And, and this happens regularly here. Not, not uncommonly are we made aware of later on of how some financial need was provided for in someone's small group. Just organically, people caring for each other that way. Thank you for doing so. But your giving, I want you to know, your giving also helps fund our, our benevolence fund. Just this past week, you helped provide for a member here in genuine financial need. A, a benevolence request came to Dave Poe, our deacon of benevolence, and Dave Assess that need, let us know. It's a genuine need. And we said, thank you, Dave. Let's cut the check. And so a church member here was cared for, provided for financially through your generosity. Thank you for doing so. But notice also generosity, you might say, includes sharing our home in hospitality. In this day, you didn't have hotels on every corner and often didn't have the funds to stay in the inn. And so travelers depended very much on hospitality, including, you find, those traveling to communicate the gospel. And so you read at points in the New Testament why, why providing hospitality has this mission impulse to it. Well, here God says, pursue hospitality. Don't just Practice it. Don't, don't just be available in case someone comes knocking on your door. No, seek it out. Pursue these opportunities to exercise hospitality. Be like, be like a Tim and Linda Lydell who always have on their radar those who are visiting here that they might invite them to lunch or some other gathering. We are to pursue this here and welcome people into our homes. Make them feel received and loved. In fact, the word is literally love of stranger. Love of stranger. You love someone like that. I was thinking about how important this is for us here. We're a church with a lot of, a lot of close friendships. 
some, some going back decades, which is a great blessing. But it can be a bit of a challenge for those who are newer. They tend to feel very much welcomed on Sundays, but it can be hard sometimes to get knit in relationally. So think about hospitality as a means of helping us, as a means of saying, come over, I open my friendships to you, I open my home to you. We want you to be connected here relationally and not just welcomed on Sunday. That's love, friends. Now verse 14, we're going to come back to next week. Let me give a seventh characteristic of genuine love. It is caring, sincerely caring. Verse 15, verse 15, rejoice. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. It's sincere care, right? Sincere care because we are a body. And so when one part hurts, the rest feel it. I'm not sure if you've had this experience, but I have thrown out my back before. When you injure your back, you realize everything's affected by your back. It's like your whole body hurts when your back hurts. It's kind of like that. One member's hurting. We're all called to feel it and sincerely care for them. But as the famous early church preacher and bishop of Constantinople, Chrysostom, put it, it's the first part of this verse that is the challenging part. He said, the second part, we tend to do fairly well. It's the first part that's harder Rejoice with those who rejoice. I think he's right. It's easier to sympathize than congratulate. When someone gets a new job, and we don't, they get a promotion. They get married, and we want to be married. They have children, and we want to have children. It's hard to rejoice. We're tempted to envy. We're tempted to jealousy. And so we remind ourselves, we're not competitors. We're a family. We're a body. We sincerely care. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Number eight. Number eight. Genuine love is harmonious. It is harmonious. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Literally, uh, think the same toward each other. Do not be haughty, proud, but associate with the lowly. That could be lowly people or lowly tasks. Maybe it's both. Associate with the lowly, and then the last piece is important. Never be wise in your own sight, not thinking too highly of ourselves. So catch this, catch this. Humility is necessary for harmony. Pride tends toward division. Humility produces unity. And it struck me how, how timely verse 16 is for us because on Tuesday we have another election. Another time we have a privilege of voting, but another time when the political polarization in our country is on display and that can be seen in the church too very often as well, can't it? Christians on Tuesday 
will disagree with each other. And that's okay if, if we're applying verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. You know, the church, the church is not like a club in this way. A club is built around uniformity, some, some common interest, a knitting club, a chess club, what have you. The church is not built around uniformity. We're called to unity out of our diversity. That is harder to do and better. I appreciated how D.A. Carson speaks to this in his book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God, Dr. Carson writes the following. The church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. Natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics. Common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. It's not those things. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe Him a common allegiance. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. It's unity out of such diversity because of a common allegiance to Jesus Christ, a common allegiance that is more important to us than all other allegiances. And so, may all we put on social media Tuesday <laughs> and Wednesday and beyond, and all we say in our interactions with each other reflect verse 16, live in harmony with each other. Do not be haughty. Oh, express your opinions, express your convictions, but don't forget genuine love. This is what, this is what church health looks like. This is what church health looks like. This is the, the vital sign, the primary vital sign for church health. Genuine love. It's a love that is pure, discerning, a love that is affectionate, like family. A love that is honoring, preferring each other. A love that is zealous for the Lord. A love that is persevering, enduring, and prayerful. A love that is generous and hospitable. A love that is sincerely caring and harmonious. And in my opinion, in my opinion, that makes us a pretty healthy church by God's grace. Thank you so much. Not a perfect church. Perfect churches don't exist. Can we grow? Yes. But I want to encourage you. I want to thank you. I want you to be aware of the grace of God. I think that makes us on the healthy side of the spectrum. But it's still good to ask, isn't it? It's still good to ask. Is there anyone here for you that you're not loving like this. Anyone here for you? 
maybe the person that's been coming to mind as I've been making these eight points. Anyone for you, you're not loving like this here. And if so, what is God calling you to do in response to his word? It's not my word. It's God's word. What is he calling you to do with his word? Maybe, maybe you need to cling to what is good in that person or that situation. Maybe you need to see them. No, you do need to see them. As part of the same spiritual family, having the same spiritual DNA for brotherly affection. Maybe you could outdo them in showing honor and preferring them. Maybe, maybe with a zeal in your spirit, by the Holy Spirit, you might serve the Lord in that situation. Maybe you need perseverance, a holy patience and prayer in light of God's patience with you. Maybe it's a chance to be generous to them or show hospitality. Maybe it's a chance to care with real sympathy. It's certainly a chance to show harmony to do the hard work of maintaining unity by pursuing humility. And here's why. Here's why. Because of the love God has shown to you. You want to show that love to each other. We want to show that love because that's the love we've experienced from God himself. This, this very same word for love is a, a distinctive word Christians began to use to show the distinctive love we're to have for each other and the distinctive love God has for us in Christ. It shows up in the book of Romans. In Romans 5, it is the distinctive love demonstrated at the cross of Jesus Christ for you. In Romans 8, it's the distinctive love that never, ever lets you go. Just that nothing can separate you from this love. So the key to showing this love in Romans 12 is knowing this love in Romans 5 and Romans 8. In fact, as I reflected on this, I think these eight categories sum up God's love pretty well. It's seeing that God's love in Christ is pure. He hates what is evil, and he hated what is evil in us. And so he sent his son and thought of the evil of our sin, past, present, and future, as belonging to his son, as his son endured the wrath of God in our place, out of his love. It's seeing that God's love for us is, is affectionate. You know, Jesus put this love on display so many times, like when he said, welcome the children. Don't hinder the children from coming to me. He had this affection for little children like he has for you as his child. God's love for you is, is honoring, if you will. It, it's preferring. There's a real sense of God preferring you over himself in Philippians chapter 2. 
where God the Son did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, a thing to be clutched onto, but made himself nothing, took a human nature in addition to his divine nature to be the God-man as your Savior. He has preferred you that way. It's seen that God's love is, is zealous. He has a holy passion for his people. Jesus does not just die for the church. He marries the church. He has a zeal, a passion, a holy love for you. It's seen that God's love is persevering. He is patient. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad for God's patience with me. It's seen that God's love is generous, friends, generous and hospitable. The Father did not spare His own Son, Romans 8, but gave Him up for us all. Our God is that generous in love for you that He might be, as it were, hospitable to you. Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. He will welcome you to His heavenly home forever. God's love for you is caring, it's sympathetic, so much so He entered our fallen world of sin, sickness, and death. Jesus, in His life here, rejoiced and He wept. He identified with us in the closest way possible to be your sympathetic high priest. And His love is harmonious, you might say, harmonious and humble. He made peace with us, his enemies. Peace with you and me, who were his natural enemies. That's the pro most profound harmony possible. Peace with God through Jesus Christ, through the humility of the God-man who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. So you're not going to remember all eight points here. I'm not going to either. But I hope you take away this, that you see the, the beam of God's love, the beam of divine love aimed at you through Christ, and that gets refracted to each other. That gets reflected to each other. So friends, see, behold, be amazed by the love of God for you in Jesus, and then... And then show genuine love to each other as the vital sign of church health together. And what we want to do, of course, is end by taking the Lord's Supper to help us rejoice in that great love. So would the music team please come and the ushers prepare to serve us the Lord's Supper. For, for those here who are yet to believe in Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. God, God, is, God is wonderfully patient, like I just mentioned. In fact, His Word tells us He does not want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance and faith. So God is patiently holding out to you His, his welcome, you might say, calling you to repent and believe, calling you to turn from going your own way and to trust in Jesus Christ, to rely on His life, death, 
and resurrection as your only hope before this God that you might know him as your child as his child rather and experience his love as your father I would urge you right now to turn to Jesus Christ and believe for those who are believing for those who've already believed please take the bread take the cup hang on to both we'll take them together but as you hang on to them Reflect on the love of God for you in Christ and be amazed. Would the ushers please come? praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your great love to us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.